Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. College football season is in full swing, and the last of the major pro sports leagues kick off this week. And Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action this season as well. With Major League Baseball's postseason, the NFL, college football, and the NHL all in play right now, Bet Online is your number one source for your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything on the NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport, anytime. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by BetOnline, where the game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out the latest Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. State IPA is available now at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get State IPA. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. We are on to Indiana. I think it's best we turn the page. Penn State is hosting Indiana this Saturday. It'll be at noon on CBS at Beaver Stadium. Penn State, of course, coming off of a heartbreaking, demoralizing loss at Ohio State this past weekend by a score of 20-12. to 12. Hopefully, this entire season is not completely shot in terms of postseason aspirations as a result of this past weekend's loss, but it surely makes it a lot more difficult. I want to thank you all for tuning in to the recap show this past weekend. A huge thank you to Derek Williams, legendary Penn State wide receiver. The episode of Justin Derek going back and forth was absolutely fantastic. Thank you all for liking, commenting, subscribing, turning on notifications. Uh, we will be doing another live recap show uh, for Penn State versus Indiana this Saturday. Uh, Justin, you're, you're good for that. We're definitely going to do that. Yes, yeah, sir. We're <laughs> so we'll be doing that again. I should have asked you before I said we were doing <laughs> it. But yeah, we're, do- we're doing another one. Uh, you guys, your responses have been absolutely fantastic. Uh, and as always, rate us on your audio-only platforms. But yeah, just uh, getting a chance to watch back the game and to really sit with this loss for a couple of days, Justin. Uh, it, I come back to the first comments I made on this platform years ago was something that stuck in my head as a fan and as a broadcaster of Penn State football has been the comment that James Franklin made after the 2018 loss at home to Ohio State. That was brutal. I attended that game. It was heartbreaking, much like this one was. Different, but similar. 
and the comment of we've been a good football program, we can be a great football program, but we're not an elite football program. And this finally felt like a year where Penn State was going to be elite. And there's that pressure of, yes, this is the last season where you only have four teams that make the college football playoff. That will expand to 12 next year. So there was that extra feather in your cap if you could do it in the last bastion of that four-team playoff race. When it goes to 12, yeah, your resume can be a little bit less. So I can understand that. And eventually, as time goes by, that will change. But it, it just breaks my heart that we're still at the level of great. I'd say this is a great football team, good football team, somewhere in the middle of that. And you just are like, man, when's the breakthrough going to be? It's it's very frustrating. And even hearing James Franklin talk about it in his press conference on Tuesday, this one certainly stings. The thing that Justin, I, I heard from James Franklin, he said, is that you can't let this loss beat you twice, whether that's this weekend against Indiana or somewhere down the road. Uh, what what does James Franklin mean by that? Can you go further in detail on that? For sure. I mean, just tie it to our weekend warrior golfers out there. When you have a bad tee shot or a bad golf swing, it can get real bad, real ugly. You can put a nine or 10 on the card if you don't make your next stroke the best stroke. And I think that's what James is referring to is not letting this game beat us twice is being disappointed, losing your confidence getting away from the fundamentals, get away from your identity and everything that you built your philosophy up until this point and like throwing everything up against the glass again to see, or against the wall to see if it sticks and, you know, not play up to par against a lesser opponent and end up losing again based on doing things different where you don't need to. And just like recognize, watch the film of what's going on and make the proper impactful, um, adjustments to move forward and i think that's what needs to happen and but to the point of not losing twice i think the golf analogy is the best one it's like hey next stroke's the best stroke and you just got to keep whacking away at it basically so uh, the next stroke so to speak being penn state versus indiana this coming weekend we'll get to that in a moment obviously this loss to ohio state really hurts Penn State's college football playoff possibilities. I think, uh, according to ESPN, it drops them down to about a 17% chance of that happening. Now, still, anything can happen in college football. It's the old adage. There's a lot of games still left to be played. Uh, you never know what's really going to happen uh, when it comes to Ohio State versus Michigan. I think a lot of people are favoring Michigan in that game. Who knows? Uh, Ohio State's, I think, on the road against Wisconsin this weekend – who's to say that they don't stumble at Madison? Who knows? There, there's all these possibilities. I know people will hop in the comment section saying they're not going to lose to Wisconsin. They're not going to lose to this team. And especially Michigan, they look like a juggernaut. Everybody that plays them says they are complete on both sides of the ball. Every phase of the game, they are a complete team, which is tough to put together, tough to beat. Uh, now, even thinking as far ahead as November 11th, you play Michigan at home, but the performance that was put up against Ohio State certainly makes it challenging. You and I talk about roster retention and roster maintenance on this show a lot. That has a lot to do with the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness benefits. After a loss like this, how hard is it to maintain focus, drive, and motivation in this present era of college football? You know what? I don't, the fact that they're not completely out of the race, I don't think it's hard to lose – to keep focus with the, the core of the team. Um, when you think of battling for top level recruits or prospects 
in the transfer portal or just more so out of high school because I think that's really where the, the kicker is. If someone's going to go to Ohio State, they're going to go to Ohio State out of the transfer portal. But those prime five-star prototypical changemaker, one-touch guys coming out of high school, I think that's where you um, lose some footing in that talent acquisition roster management area because I think you see a, a painful performance on offense and guys that want to touch the ball, whether it's a Marvin Harrison or explosive football players, they want to see an explosive product or someone who sees it, right? Like whether I'm a top level receiver and I see like, oh, well, they target, targeted Marvin Harrison 20 times. So if they have a guy, this is what they're going to do with their guy, like regardless if they have running backs or not and the history of what the position produced. So when we look at just the makeup of the two teams, I really believe only the receiver group across the board was a, a better group than Penn State. Like, so I don't think this was a year where we talk about them being more talented or just all those different aspects. It's just simply playing better and having a better uh, game plan coming out there against the what offensive game plan against a team like that. So, I mean, with those things in mind, from the roster standpoint, I think it really hurts a little bit with those elite guys coming out of high school. But I don't think it gets us out of the boat because we recruit similar guys, but a little bit different. And and it's the recruiting battle, but it's also the present roster. True. I don't think it. I don't think it. Uh, it crushes the current roster because they're competitors, right? Like even if I'm a defensive player, I'm thinking I'm getting to a transfer portal and try to find an offense that can that can operate where I can play. Because you're just dealing with so many different things. There's not that many efficient, high-powered offenses out there if anybody just wants to look around. I mean, everyone has their ups and downs. There has, there's some offenses that have major key weapons that are used the right way and things like that. But I don't think it. this loss has a player internally ready to move or do anything like that. I can see some receivers being frustrated or feeling some heat of – stepping up and producing so the maybe lab, from the I yeah right 100 percent. and from the staff like looking like okay well maybe we need to go into the transfer portal and start finding some weapons on the outside in different areas to fill these uh voids in a quick manner and not you know, necessarily a developmental route of like the recruiting and recruiting process there's it, just a lot of aspects to it I, and listen i do not want to begin to imply that the team has quote given up or anything like that but it is a valid thing to be thinking of it's just a new era of college football altogether hell look at what's going on at the university of texas i believe they're down to their third quarterback second or third uh, arch manning i forget where he is on really? the roster but malik murphy is about to start this weekend because when yours is out and i forget the other quarterback that's out and there are a lot of people praising the university of texas like how did you get this kid to stay which is pretty incredible so it's like yeah like Think about a program like that. You just got Arch Manning in it. So, you know, just for a little piece of comparison of like th that's one position group on another high profile football team. Imagine how Penn State is going to handle this considering, yeah, there was national title implications, Big Ten title implications at least. So. Roster management and, and ta well, talent management is one of the, I think, one of the most underrated traits of a coach in general, whether mm -hmm. it's a position coach or a head coach because you have to maintain talent and talent has 
a wide range of personalities, as you've seen at the WWE or just across sports and entertainment industry in general. Even when we're talking about assistant coaches, like they have their own egos all the way down to players. So whether you're an assistant coach that has to look over your room or a head coach that has to deal with like talent management of your assistant coaches and the players on the team, like that's an art that needs to continue to be developed as a head coach. So when we say, how does this loss affect the team and from a talent management standpoint, I think it's it's normal critical things like who didn't play well, who did, and understand that there's like an identity and a, a themed culture that everyone understands where the expectations are. So if you do fall out of line with that, you know that hey, this is how we're going to move forward in these different areas. Because I think the one, I think the one thing about talent is that they respect. I mean, I, I guess straight shooters. Like when you're like, hey, we can see what's going on and we know exactly how things are going to operate. And that's where, you know, even going back to the not losing two times where it's like, yeah, we're not going to change our whole identity after a loss. Obviously, we have to make some corrections and get better on offense and be more explosive and do these different type of things. But that doesn't mean change up all the ingredients of everything that we've done and everything that we built to this point. And so you start to find like-minded individuals that join that mission and keep sharpening it to close that gap when there's anything falling flat. And and I understand it from Penn State football fans. You know, any glimmer of like, hey, there's a silver lining, there's optimism coming out of this. People are going to tell me to hit the bricks. Completely understand it because I have felt similarly the last few days. I, I do want to do this, however. I know a lot of people are bagging on quarterback Drew Aller after this past weekend. And his stat line obviously wasn't great. 18 of 42, 191 yards, and one touchdown. I think uh, anybody that is reasonably looking back at that game can say not everything was one person's fault on offense. He was under pressure constantly. Receivers were not getting open. Yes, the running game had some success, but that got really shut down mostly by the second half. It was tough sledding. And when you're not converting on third down, as James Franklin said over and over again in his press conference on Tuesday, it's hard to do anything. And I think we all need to take a step back and think about what we thought Drew Aller was going to be, what he is right now, and what he still can be. And Justin, I come back to the fact that when Penn State really recruited him and and got him, if I'm not mistaken, as a sophomore in high school, he was a three-star. As a junior in high school, he was a four-star. As a senior, he popped up to a five-star. I believe Penn State signed him around the time he was evaluated as a four-star, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm incorrect on that timeline, I, I'm not losing all that much sleep over it. Y'all can, you know, whatever. No, I was there when he got his fifth star, so I think you're correct. That was the summer uh, uh, the Elite 11 camp. But I don't I lose sleep that, over the star ratings. Whatever, <laughs> but I'm just saying, but yeah. at that point, it was a, it was the summer and he was right. committed to Penn State. So that steady progression, I, like many, was drinking the Kool-Aid when he got signed, and especially in his freshman campaign, seeing him pop in here and there. Yes, there was fatigue with Sean Clifford. Him coming in, big arm, doing all those things. Practice sounds like it's going well. Spring games are going well. Oh, man, this guy might be the second coming, you know, whatever. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think there's a lot of people, and I've said it as well on this show, so I will raise my hand and say I'm guilty, is that I thought this guy was going to be in and out in three years and that he would just be that good off to the NFL. There's a very strong possibility after watching this game and then really being honest about his body of work thus far. Seven starts, a true sophomore. He's a kid. There's a very strong possibility you have four years of Drew Aller here at Penn State. 
who say you don't sure. have five. Sure. Just saying. He could be something absolutely breathtaking by the time he's a senior, but he's a sophomore. And we might see real leaps by the time we get to a bowl game this year. You might not see those leaps until he's a junior necessarily. And I think there was this assumption by us as Penn State fans, and me being one of them, I will say that, that this year automatically flip a switch. You go from Sean Clifford and you take a huge leap up to Drew Aller. And that, that's not necessarily been the case. I just, I just want to be realistic about that. And Justin, from your perspective, yes, the Ohio State game, it was bad. It was bad all around for the offense. Drew, obviously, not happy with his performance. What should be the reasonable expectation for progress for Drew? I mean, I, I think a I mean, reasonable expectation, I, I feel like if he's capable of having a 300-yard game next week, I think he should try to have one. Not necessarily pressing, but going out and playing with a level of swagger. Like, if you're – if you were moving forward and being playing conservative. And if there was, let's say, like, let's go with the hypothesis of he was afraid or earlier he was just being conservative because he didn't want negative critique or he was afraid of the, the sky falling. Let's just say it did. So now you can play a little freer and like maybe let the thing rip a little bit, not right. being so what concerned. What do you have to lose? I mean, we have, we have a season to continue to play for. So I'm not saying be careless with the football, but I think it's sometimes good for an athlete to experience what it's like for the ceiling to fall, what it's like to get up front of the press conference and say, like, I suck today. Like, mm -hmm. there's something that, like, okay, if it doesn't, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like, there's a level of that making him stronger. And I don't feel like we just write him off right now still being an elite talent after one game. But with that, there were some different risks and areas of improvement that I think will be attacked. We just talked about him, his movement, his, uh, his ability to move in the pocket or just – his escapability sometimes like we started questioning like where where's the 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 bo the, the, uh, the package, package yeah right and we never really questioned that before but with all that being said i think it is there's an onus on offensive coordinator to help quarterbacks out in these type of situations whether it's conservative play calls or if it's just talent matched up like at one point of talents even we got to be a little creative when we talk about what ohio state did like they didn't come out with some magnificent offensive game plan. Like it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't uh, trying to think of a, a, a nice offensive coordinator, but my man down in Miami wasn't calling a place for them. And they weren't, and, and they just weren't doing anything crazy. They were running mesh. They were running crossing routes. They were running the football. They were just executing. And I, and I think to their credit, they kind of leaned back into their identity of what we are. Like, okay, we have a, a dynamic player. Let's draw a play from, oh, run them on a wheel route, get them on a linebacker. Like, let's find our mismatch with our guy. Maybe we don't have a person that's like our guy and we're maybe approaching it too much of a X and O's mentality instead of a Jimmy's and Joe's mentality. And the Jimmy's and Joe's is like, hey, this is our guy. We're going to him. Like, when you play man and you highlight a player, like, I want to get this guy the ball. <laughs> like, there are certain things that come into that frame when you're approaching like offensive attack that way. And so, I mean, I'm saying all I have to say is that Drew can use some help from the offensive coordinator moving forward. There were some risks and areas of improvement that showed or came up in Ohio state. And you're right. Maybe he's not like performing at a five-star level, but I think the tools are still there in the progression to continue to still move forward. It's just, I mean, it's just tough sledding and, playing that quarterback position there's so many different variables man look at baker mayfield he was he was the worst quarterback ever three years ago and now he's one of the crown jewels of the nfl so 
I'm kind of hesitant with all the other things, but like let's pay attention to all the things that come into quarterback play in, in my perspective. The one thing that jumped out to me watching the Ohio State game, Justin, and tell me if you agree with this, it was maybe the first time this season that I've seen Drew be emotionally affected on the field, and That's that is significant point. as a quarterback. It, just to speculate here, if I'm Mike Yursich and James Franklin, Pulling the trigger on the Bo Perbula package when your young quarterback is struggling and clearly is frustrated. I don't know if that helps the situation. If anything, it makes Drew press. It hurts his confidence that that quickly they're going to the backup. Not that they're benching you, but just that package. I could understand how a starter would feel like that's benching me even for a series or for a play. That's saying this guy gives us a better chance than you do. I could understand a scenario where they're like, we cannot pull the trigger on this package because it's going to hurt Drew. Goes back to that talent management piece. They have to know how Drew ticks and operates. And I mean, there's I'm a not level. I'm saying Drew's soft by any means. No, no, no. no, no a lot no. of quarterbacks in that situation. Uh, That's I, a I, normal I, thing. Sure. They they rotated Tommy Campbell. I mean, not Tommy Campbell, but Tom, uh, Tommy Stevens in uh, mm. for – Trace and they had a similar uh play style, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were both dual threat quarterbacks. Tommy had his wildcat, but it was getting his carries because he made plays when he was in there. Mm -hmm. Like that was just kind of how it and that was a different offensive coordinator, different approach, different level of I guess risk reward on that. But um let me think uh, I, I guess there's there's maybe something to that of showing Drew that we're behind you and you can make mistakes. I think there's a level to that, but at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with throwing a package in every once in a while to just show like, hey, we have different weapons. And especially I if agree. you see that your quarterback's rattled, because I mean, this was the first time that he did seem rattled from all the times that I've seen him on Twitter or in the weight room. Mm -hmm. He's a very methodical, you know, workhorse type of football player, which you guys lean into that confidence. But when things are afraid, I'm in or running into your pocket. Receivers aren't open. You know, start seeing ghosts. <laughs> no, and, and James Franklin has said a million times, Drew doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. He's a very even keel and balanced person. Great poise altogether. Just wasn't his day. Uh, I thought a really good statistic was brought up during uh, the press conference this Tuesday by uh, Thomas Frank Carr, Blue White Illustrated, good friend. He said this season of Drew Aller's targeted passes, 11% of his passes have gone between the numbers and over 10 yards. 11%? 11%. Staying away from the middle of the field. Yeah, and that, and that was obvious against Ohio State, and it's been obvious to a degree much of the season unless you saw, you know, uh, a slow developing crosser. You know, we, you've seen Liam Clifford get those passes. You've seen Harrison Wallace get those passes. Not as many of the tight end seams. Like you saw the touchdown with Theo Johnson against UMass, granted, but still not a lot of those types of plays. Um, I don't know what's preventing that. And honestly, the the formula that you talked about in the offseason finally showed up against Ohio State. Ohio State finally listed to, listened to Justin King. So it's your fault, Justin. No, <laughs> I was it's, thinking you watched the they game. Put, I, they finally put seven or eight in the freaking box. <laughs> and it and it hurt Penn State. And I was like, this is Justin's. 
it was it was tough, man. And I'm I'm not trying to bag on. You it. You have to have the personnel to do that too, right? Because like, yeah. there's also like putting your putting your gonads on the table. Like, hey, my guys can lock up against your guys. You heard Derek on the recap, where was, every every play there's a win and loss against a mono and mono, a player against a player, and you mm-hmm. just have to win that matchup. And if you don't, there's a trickle effect. Just sometimes the quarterback has to deal with all the wins and all the losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the the comment from Deion Sanders, head coach of Colorado this week regarding the Michigan sign stealing scandal. He said, you still have to go out there and play. You still have to be physical. You still have to make a play on the field. So we're, we're going to get into the Michigan sign stealing thing in just a little bit, but this it. is a, a preview episode for the Indiana game. So let's talk about Indiana briefly. Uh, yes. For Penn state fans, you should feel confident going into this weekend. Indiana is two and five and they are struggling. Head coach Tom Allen usually runs a pretty tight ship. However, the last three, four years, it's it's really unfortunately started to decline. And I, I, I personally like it was never a school, Justin, that anybody in the Big Ten had a bad word to say about because they never really bowed up and done anything. They're always respectful, disciplined, smart, hard fighting team, all those positives. And it, for me, I'm like, man, it's a, it's a disappointment to see a team that looked like it was on the rise now be on a bit of a decline. So I, I, I do hope to see them improve. It's always good for the rest of the conference, but still uh, two and five right now. The the story that is prevalent is that two weeks ago, they fired their offensive coordinator, Walt Bell, after a, a loss to Maryland that was ugly. Since then, they've promoted Rod Carey to be their offensive coordinator. I believe he was a quality control assistant before that, but he was also, or no, I'm sorry, he was offensive line and quality control. Uh, before that, he had been a head coach at Temple and NIU, his time at Temple, he had crossed paths with Pat Kraft, now the athletic director of Penn State. Uh, Carey's first game uh, as the offensive coordinator was the Michigan game two weeks ago. Uh, that did not go great, as you can imagine. Uh, just taking a look at the final score, that was 52-7. to seven. Michigan is Michigan. That's a very good football team. And then last week, uh, losing at uh, home to Rutgers by a score of 31-14. to 14. And even James Franklin said in his press conference, there is not enough data with him as offensive coordinator to really evaluate this what this offense is. On top of that, Justin, uh, they don't have a definitive starting quarterback. It, it's kind of going back between Brendan Soresby and Taven Jackson. Jackson is a transfer from the University of Tennessee. And they just can't seem to get it figured out at the signal caller position, which is the kiss of death for any sort of offense. And most of this offense seems to run through the running back, Jalen Lucas, who can do a lot of the passing game, kick return game, running game. And that can also pigeonhole you as well. If you're playing defense and you're getting ready for this game and you only really got two weeks of tape on what this offensive scheme is, how do you prep for that? You know what? You just uh, move more based on just your reactionary athleticism, to be honest. And when I say that, I mean, just going back to the fundamentals, watch what you can watch for the two weeks and then just bank on it and just be like, all right, we're just going to play to everything else. Because, I mean, there you can't stress yourself out or chase ghosts about what if they do this? What if they do that? It's just like, all right, we're, this is our plan. This is our, These are the coverages we're going to play. If they come out in these sets, you try to get a couple quick tips on first, second down, and make sure third down more so, not even first and second if you don't have that much evidence. But, like, what do they like to do on third down? Because that's where charisma and personality and identity of an offensive coordinator can't really hide from. So, like, if there's a first-time offensive coordinator, whatever he's been thinking about or drawing up in his playbook whenever he gets this chance to be offensive coordinator again, he's been 
that's what he's going to show. And so, like, let's bank on our third down victories and go into the game and just compete, man, and compete and realize that we have a better team from a personnel standpoint and play like that. That's how I would be thinking going into a game like this. It's like, make sure we went on third down everywhere else. I mean, we always compete at 100%, but there's not really other tips. Like, we're playing cover three, read my keys, and 100% max. If anything, that feels like the perfect type of bounce back scenario for this team. And granted, I don't think anybody's really looking at the defense of Penn State versus Ohio State. Like, man, the defense really has a lot to improve on. Like, yeah, sure, there are things to improve on. You played probably the greatest wide receiver in college football right now. <laughs> the closest thing I can compare to Marvin Harrison Jr. is when a guy named Larry Fitzgerald was chopping things up at Pitt. he's a once in a generation talent. So don't get too beat up about it, but like, you're never going to see anything like that the rest of the season period. So if anything, this feels like a good game kind of coming back to the point you were saying is like, Hey, you got nothing to lose now. So let's, let's just play. What's Johnny Dixon say when you're better than people, you just play. And that's a real mentality that you need to go in. And I think the defensive backfield or even the Penn state defense had that mentality, even against Ohio state, like they did just go up and play. Even when we talk about, like Marvin Harrison, like the majority of his yards came from zone. People listening, let's not get it twisted. I don't like when DBs get a, a bad rep when just because a receiver has uh, a lot of yards or a productive day doesn't mean that the de- defensive backs had a bad day, especially in the scenario that happened. But um, yeah, I mean, he was a dynamic player, but I'm not sure, man. Like moving forward, even with like this Indiana team, you have to come out looking to dominate after a game against Ohio State. They just say like, hey, it's not it's, it's not going to kill us. I remember in 05 when we lost to Michigan. And the next week, you know, we went out against, uh, I want to say Illinois. And that's when it was like a, a blowout victory. It was like, all right, that's not going to get us off our game. We're not going to go to the championship. It's, but we still have something to accomplish. So like with that mentality, these guys still have something to play for. Mm-hmm. You still have stuff to put on tape whether or not it is playing next week, next season in the NFL for an, for another college team. There's That's always reason. Fact. Uh, one question that was asked to James Franklin during his press conference, and, and you have intimate knowledge having been on both sides as a player and as a part of the James Franklin staff. Uh, and this question's come up a lot under James Franklin's tenure is how much influence he has on play calling, play decision, during games uh and he said quote during the game both on offense and defense when i feel like we've gotten conservative and i feel like we need to take a shot i'll weigh in speaking more specifically about the offense there and he feels like um i feel like we've gotten when i feel like we've gotten away from the run game we get back to it on defense if i feel we've gotten away from the pressure getting back to it our biggest issue against ohio state in my opinion was third down and that affected everything else and the term money plays. And you have used that. I, you and Derek were talking about that. Um, the proverbial quote, just throw it deep sort of thing, but also taking advantage of, all, of those one-on-one situations. Do you expect Penn State to be less conservative against Indiana? Or knowing James Franklin, is it like, hey, we're not going to let one loss bump us away from what our true identity is? Well, I mean, even from that standpoint, I don't think we did everything within our identity last week. It was a little Great. bit, it was a little different, right? We didn't throw many bubble screens. We got away from the run game. Like, so even when we get back to that, I think you loosen the, I think people are feeling the, 
the heat that they want to have some excitement on offense, like whether it's like some plays that are drawn up to go over 25 yards. Um, but I think they should do that anyway, going against Indiana. So I, I, I think that would be a part of the game plan. Like, I mean, the first started off the season, the first play was a, like a 40 yard or 67 yard strike to Keandre. So like it's, in our playbook, I mean, it's just a matter of executing. And that's when we get back to, we talk about the improvement and risk factors when we looked at Drew. Like before we thought, is it all the play calling? Or is it some of these plays are called and he's making the decision not to throw it there based on whatever it is, whether it's, I mean, not a fear-based thing, but playing conservative, trying to protect, more of a protecting the football or just a no risk it, no biscuit type of mentality, but that doesn't get us anywhere. And when we want to talk about chunk plays and going after it, I think there's a level of mentality that goes with that. So with a, with Indiana, if that we should see it, but I don't think it's based on outside noise. I think that sh- should be in the script <laughs> and an improvement based on last week's game. From the standpoint of someone who has been a part of a coaching staff, when a game like this happens, naturally there's second guessing, finger pointing, people casting blame, whether that's inside or outside of the program. And especially, you know, I, I watched James Franklin do enough press conferences after a loss. And I can only imagine being in that seat, being asked questions and knowing you know the answer, uh, then like you know, you know what your team did wrong and how to fix it or something like that. And just fielding these questions that are naturally questioning your ability to do your job. And that's not James Franklin specifically. That's everybody on the staff. How do you guys rally and not start to let things fester? You know what I mean? You rally by first being self-critical of what you put out there, right? Like you were the coach. Like you saw what happened. I mean, as long as there's not any delusion of what happened on the field and we could take ownership of like, okay, we need to get better at this. Now I think it's one thing when there's multiple areas on the field that were just piss poor, there's penalties, there's messed up substitutions. There's all these different types of things on that. I think that's where it gets a little tricky. And those, and those things did happen, unfortunately against Ohio state to a degree, to a degree. Right. But we were still in the game, but I would say, it was more like the the cause of the disgruntled fan base or even us losing. I like I, th- I really think was third down and essentially the offensive the offense to an extent, like the offensive pass game. Or we can just go into that, but like I think it was pretty poignant on where we need to get things corrected and not just burn down the whole ship because it was very beneficial things that happened on Saturday. I think even from the special team standpoint, I know they had that one that went over his head, but I mean, the special teams kept us in the game, the defense, the way that they played was like, was lights out. So like understanding that two to three phases of the, of the football game were played well enough to win. I think you just focus on like the improvement areas of, of the offense and really try to get under the hood of really what's the causation of whether it's Drew's laps or whether it's like the game plan and strategy moving forward, or is a combination of both. Looking at the schedule for the rest of the year for Penn state, obviously you have this home game against Indiana this Saturday. Again, that's at noon on CBS Then you're at Maryland on three 30 on Fox on November 4th. Then you're hosting Michigan at noon on the 11th of November. Then you host Rutgers on the 18th. 
and then you're at Michigan State. That game, uh, again, is at Ford Field in Detroit, so slightly different feel altogether to that. Once you get past this Michigan game, no disrespect to Rutgers and Michigan State, those should be games that you just you should beat those teams. You should beat Indiana this weekend. But the next three weeks of the season are so freaking critical. You have to bounce back against Indiana to develop the proper mindset to go on the road and beat a Maryland team that gave Ohio State some trouble. And I know some people are going to be like, well, you know, Ohio State eventually ran away with that game. It's like, man, you and I have talked about it. One of these days, Maryland's going to put together a full four quarters of football and beat somebody that they weren't supposed to be. And if you show vulnerability going into that game, Mike Loxley is a damn good head coach. And if you don't get after Talia Tonga-Vailoa, I've said it before, he gets emotional when the game is frustrating for him and turnovers and mistakes happen. You don't do that to him. Maryland can do some things. So you should not underestimate that team. And then, yeah, Michigan looks fantastic at this point in the season. So that is not going to be an easy game on November 11th. This is a really important three weeks of the season. And to bounce back, especially against Indiana, you, you just have to. And it's not even a situation where I'm doubting the outcome of the game. I fully expect Penn State to win this one going away. But I, it, it doesn't even feel right to assume anything after that Ohio State game, Justin, because like that final score didn't even feel indicative of how the game went. Like You always talk about, hey, nationally, people are going to see 20 to 12. Oh, man, that was, that was close. Only an eight-point game. It, was like, it felt like 30 to 7. You know, it just felt it did. weird. It, it, it didn't feel it didn't feel like a thirty to seven thing. I think we get so messed up. The offense was painful. That's the, the point. The offense was painful, and it felt like they could never truly get within striking distance of Ohio State. Oh man, it goes back to about just like the audience and a casual fan of like how disgruntled a fan base will get based on the aesthetic of a game. Because I think mm-hmm. if we lose. 12 to 20 and drew throws for 385 yards and it's like a shootout or not even a shootout but just like say through three interceptions in the red zone he's mm-hmm. just, i don't know if everyone feels the same way like because I, I i really don't because it was just so it's it's the clunky offense where it's hard to watch yeah. that's where you get have fans and they get upset where you start questioning everybody coaches quarterbacks and all that well, i'm just thinking of it from like a league office standpoint but when you say that it was really like just that part <laughs> yeah yeah it just uh, it was demoralizing it was just it's demoralizing. demoralizing yeah it's demoralizing <laughs> it just rips your heart out it gives me the gray hairs i have on the side of my head um <laughs> i mentioned it before and it's something that is prevalent within the conference and i've been college football together so warren's bringing up currently there's this michigan sign stealing scandal that dates back even to last year and that there's an investigation into Michigan football. Um, a staffer by the last name of Stallions attending a variety of games, paying for his own tickets or putting tickets under family members' names, going to games uh, that Michigan was not competing in but would be competing against to get their signs in advance. Uh, plenty of coaches have been asked about the subject. I mentioned Deion uh, Sanders was asked about it earlier this week. Uh, same thing with Matt Rule and Nebraska and that a lot of different solutions and questions about it have popped up. And it's, you know, to your point, the lay fan versus the coach who's in the know about it. Most coaches will tell you that sign stealing happens all the time. Now, to the degree of a staffer being sent to games where your team is not competing and you're like scouting ahead at potential opponents or even 
plausible opponents within your schedule. Uh, that's, I think, the, the issue a lot of people are taking with it. Uh, James Franklin was asked about it on Tuesday, and he said, quote, you have to disguise your signals. We made some changes on that front after our bye week due to that. In general, all, we're always aware of how we signal and we are disguising it. I see a lot of people talking about the NFL model, meaning uh, radios in the helmets for both offensive and defensive players, you know, select offensive and defensive players. I don't think that really solves it. You saw us huddle more often against Ohio State. Not to say that you are going to you know, come up with a solution for it right now, but where do you land on all this? Shout out to my man, Sam Schwartzstein. He was the director of football operations at XFL, did the whole kickoff all that stuff. But the one main thing that I thought was the most, one of the most innovative um, things he implemented to the game was coach to player headset, where not only did it go to just two players on offense or three, it went to all the skill position. So like the coach was talking to the quarterback, every single receiver and the running back. So when everything was going on, we were just having a conversation and that helped us uh, keep this play clock and the speed of the game, pace the game up to have you know, more, uh, exciting, explosive plays during the duration of the game. But what that took away from was sign stealing and just the microwavable aspect of putting a football league together where people can cheat in some level of integrity. But there's always technology to it. So, I mean, that's what I would do. That's pretty extreme. But uh, sign stealing is I, 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 it's like a part of the gamemanship of football I, I mean we watch in the nfl we watch we had meetings on friday where we literally watch multiple tv copies to see if we can take any signs of what's going on like that's what we did if we had anybody else that we had different areas we would try to zoom in do whatever we can do but um it, it's game and shit it just seems something like something stupid that the ncaa has too much time to investigate to be completely honest they do i mean they do <laughs> Well, they, they damn near ruined Tez Walker's career. More hey, but I, I, I re actually respect Michigan going out of their way to send my guy going out to buy the 30 tickets and doing what he needs to do to like get every edge you could get. Because I know that's a program that's they're serious about <laughs> winning at any so cost. how many how many programs reasonably are capable or actually attempt to change their signals week to week? Or is it we install these in the spring and these are our signals for the year? I, I, I mean, it's your if you're willing, right? I think it all comes down. I always judge offensive coordinators even when it comes down to those type of decisions. So like the charisma or personality of the coach, because someone's like, I don't care what you see, what my signals are. Like, do something about it. Like I right. play for Bruce Arians, like he had that mentality. Like. F you like here, this is what we're running. Stop it. Like I'll right. draw something else off of that. Like, so when you get around like offensive minds like that, yeah, I mean, they're just more like stop us if you can stop us. But to that point in college, when you can steal signs and you're having to teach everybody the, the signs, not necessarily the concepts of what's going on. It's just like a, different coaching mechanisms. So sometimes you do need to switch it up because everyone's looking at your signs, right? So if you stop on in college and everyone turns to the sidelines and I'm a DB, I can look and see what they're looking at. Eventually you can start picking something up. So in college is more, is a little more necessary to change them, but put some, put some coach to speaker um, communication and that all the skill guys 
headsets. Shout out my man, Sam Forstrand. I personally like that idea. And, and you've heard a lot of different people say, well, you know, it's the it's the traditionalists of college football that are like, no, you know, we shouldn't do that. We don't need to do that. But, you know, uh, uh, the ones don't want the guys to get paid. Right. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. And then there have been plenty of people who pointed out, well, there's major high school football programs that have helmet radios, et cetera. So it's like, why isn't this happening at some of the largest, most profitable college football programs in the country? I mean, if, if people understand, I mean, the incompetence that happens in NCAA, man, can't just base it off of the amount of money. Oh, I'm not even putting it on the NCAA. Get. Freaking LSU oh. has air conditioning headsets <laughs> in the helmets for their players. You're telling me there's no way of putting a radio in there, but you put a freaking AC unit in their head? Well, I, well, I would say NCAA because they're the ones who do the rules and like make up, yes. you know, yes. like the competitive advantage or you know the parity on the play. But 100, I mean, but that comes down to just the willing. Now you're talking about the willingness of a university. Now you're pointing a finger at the university. Now you're looking at hey, 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 spend that money. <laughs> Spend that money. I'm all about saving that money. Let's spend that money. All right. Spend that money. It's it's very important. Um, I want to thank you all so much for joining us here. I know for Penn State football fans, yeah, the last handful of days have really, really sucked. But we can look forward to a home game. I hope all of you that get to tailgate, tailgate your butts off. Do what Penn State fans do. Be happy that you get a home game in October. You get to be with your friends and family. That's what it's all about. Penn State at home at Beaver Stadium this Saturday at noon on CBS. Get yourself a state IPA so you can enjoy the game. You just do the thing that's right. And then join Justin and I for the live recap show on our YouTube channel. You can turn on notifications for that now. Subscribe and, of course, comment, rate us. We appreciate you guys so much. Enjoy Penn State versus Indiana this Saturday. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.